Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital extends its healing mission beyond its hospital doors as it presents this vital podcast series. It's Your Health Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. With so many cancer myths and urban legends out there, it it really can be confusing as to what to believe. Here to debunk cancer myths while sharing cancer facts that matter is my guest, Dr. Mei Ling Tao. Dr. Mei Lin Tao, she's a board-certified radiation oncologist and a member of the medical staff at Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital. Dr. Tao, what a great topic. So let's start with, I think one of the most common things is, is, God forbid, is cancer always a death sentence? Which cancers today in your expert, in your expertise are seen as more readily treated? So cancer is definitely not a death statement. In fact, one of the pleasurable things I'm able to do on a regular basis is tell people that my intent is to cure them from their cancer and that the probability of cure is quite high. So the two most common cancers that you see um, in men separately and then women separately are prostate um, and breast cancer. Um, If you take all collectively, actually, lung cancer is more common um, if you take both the male and female population together. Um, but the interesting thing is that for um, for the more serious cancers like lung cancer, the incidence has actually been decreasing uh, over the years. So not only has the incidence been decreasing, the actual uh, cure rate as well has been progressively increasing over the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years. Um, and for the more common ones, as I mentioned earlier, prostate and breast, um, because we tend to detect them at such an early rate uh, for patients who are either early stage or what we call stage one disease, um, the cure rate is incredibly high, approaching greater than 90%. So that's the kind of good news I'm often able to deliver to patients when they first come to the office. Wow, that's quite a statistic. And and also, I think Dr. Tao with colonoscopies, low-dose CT scans for lung cancer, early detection has really helped in some of those treatment rates as well. So on to some more of these interesting myths is eating sugar and cancer related. And I've done some shows even on this. And what about artificial sweeteners? What do you know about this? So there's a fallacy out there that if we eat a lot of carbohydrates uh, or more uh, simple sugars, that that's going to drive uh, cancer or cancer progression if you already have a cancer diagnosis. Um, And the truth is um, the basic fuel for any cell, which of course is mostly healthy cells in your body, is glucose. Um, And that there is really no evidence that uh, depriving yourself of uh, that primary energy source is actually going to decrease the chances of um, the cancer progressing. Um, and the challenge is that if uh, one is extreme about their diet, particularly if someone already has a cancer diagnosis and is struggling with maintaining their weight because of some of the treatment side effects, that you end up starving some of the healthier cells. So certainly you want to stay away from excessive refined sugars or processed foods. Those are just not good for your general health to begin with. Um, And if you're thinking about how to maintain a healthy body, if you're already or still healthy, um, then that shouldn't be part of your larger diet anyway. There's a lot of interesting research that's being done about how sugar drives insulin levels. Um, 
and how it may affect certain uh, growth factor surges in your body. And that's sort of the hypothesis behind why maybe sugar may drive uh, cancer cell growth. Um, but that's in not really been borne out when we look at actually human studies and look at the outcomes for how sugar directly affects cancer progression uh, or even cancer development. Indirectly, if you uh, have, let's say, a high sugar diet and particularly a refined sugar, processed sugar diet, uh, you're going to tend to be more overweight. Uh, you also tend to be a little bit less uh, active in sort of a regular physical way, um, and that leads to obesity. And obesity is clearly a risk factor for developing uh, cancers. But that's sort of, you know, a progression um, that has to do more with uh, how you metabolize uh, energy um, and what a state of being in excessive weight does to your body as opposed to directly sugar driving cancer progression. It is. It's sort of like the domino yeah. effect. I, I get what you're saying. And and also, I know there's a lot of research on high fructose corn syrup and its relation to cancer, but we don't have enough time in this episode to get into that completely. So let's let's try some of these others now. One that I'm particularly interested in is stress. We know that it has mm-hmm. a little bit of a contribution, you know, a contribution to heart disease. But what about to cancer? Right. So, um, Stress or psychological stress, physical stress clearly is not a good state to be in, whether it's chronic or intense. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that it clearly contributes to your general health and uh, many sort of medical issues like digestive problems, urinary problems, your immune system. Uh, it affects your ability to fight off infection uh, or even be more likely to um, get an infection like a viral bacterial infection. It certainly affects your uh, your ability to sleep, um, you know, depression, anxiety, all of the things, of course, are related to your general health. Um, but stress being uh, a direct cause, if you will, meaning there are causal link between uh, that phenomenon and actual cancer development, um, there's actually very, very poor links um, and certainly no convincing scientific data uh, that that's a direct contributor to developing cancer. Um, clearly, um, there are a lot of indirect uh, reasons why that may be related to cancer. So, for example, if someone is chronically stressed, it's been shown that at least certain behaviors that we know are uh, risky in terms of a higher likelihood of developing cancer. For example, people are more likely to overeat, and so the obesity issue, as I raised earlier, they're more likely to smoke, they may be more likely to drink alcohol, and all of those are well known to increase cancer risk. Um, but in terms of a direct cause of uh, of cancer, that has been not that there's really uh, essentially no convincing information uh, in large population studies to show that to be the case. So thank you for that answer. Makes me feel a little bit better. So on to, I have so many questions for you, Dr. Tao. Can a mammogram or a biopsy cause cancer to spread? There were books written about this. People were concerned. Tell us about that. So I think the concern about, first we'll just speak about mammograms, as you said, causing cancer. So there's a general, um, and really now it's become kind of a, a public health announcement that if you're a healthy person, um, you want to be judicious about how you expose yourself to x-rays. So there's a lot of fear about, let's say, dental x-rays uh, or x-rays being done for even 
you know, uh, chest x-rays or things like that. Mammograms is also an exposure to x-rays. Um, and so if there's no real uh, medical purpose uh, or screening purpose for an entity that could potentially be life-threatening um, and that is relatively common, relatively common um, in a population, then one shouldn't willy-nilly expose themselves to x-ray. There should be some real purpose behind doing that. And so what we've learned with large studies, not only in the United States, but in um, Canada, in Europe, in Sweden, they've done a lot of this work, um, that if you do mammograms, and generally the radiation exposure is very low, um, and you're doing them in an age group of women in which the incidence starts to rise for breast cancer, like greater than 50 or 50 and higher, um, and you know that uh, <clears throat> early pickup, as we discussed earlier, will lead to a much, much curable cancer, that in the whole scope of things, that little bit of exposure, which of course uh, leads to the fear of you know, inducing a cancer, is going to be far outweighed by the benefit of detecting a relatively common cancer in an early, early stage that's highly, highly curable. So, um, you know, the principle of, yes, we want to reduce our exposure to x-rays in general, um, I like to think about it as we want to reduce our exposure to x-rays when not done for any real purpose or any benefit other than just sort of curiosity or, you know, worry or anxiety just to kind of placate us that, you know, we don't see anything on x-ray for a problem or, you know, just again, willy-nilly exposure. Um, but when you've got a, when you're applying in a very specific purpose, like in this uh, breast cancer surveillance um, example, uh, the pickup and the ability to detect something very early in a relatively common cancer um, far outweighs any of that small, small risk of having that exposure. Now, what about cell phones? What do you know about that? Do they cause cancer? So cell phones, of course, there's a lot of concern about that because the uh, amount of um, cell phone use has increased dramatically in the last decade or last two decades. Um, and uh, it there is what we call radio frequency radiation, which are, or radio waves more commonly called. Um, but it's important to understand that those are non-ionizing radiations, what we call very, very low frequency radiation. The same applies also when we talk about Bluetooth or any Wi-Fi enabled devices. Um, and the... Uh, because cell phones are so ubiquitous and there is this, quote, exposure of some kind of uh, radio wave, um, there's been this concern that maybe we're actually doing harm to ourselves. Um, well, I think it's first important to remember that cancer, um, unless we're talking about a, a hereditary, hereditary situation, is caused by uh, a sporadic genetic mutation. And generally speaking, when we talk about um, radiation, whether uh causing that. Uh, we're talking about ionizing radiation that causes the damage to the genes. So when you talk about very low frequency radiation, um, which is non-ionizing, the mechanis mechanistic uh, process for even developing the mutation, which leads to cancer, um, isn't even there as a baseline. Um, nonetheless, there is this concern, and there have been a number of studies now, large population studies, um, as well as some animal studies, trying to look at what cell phone exposure uh, will lead to uh, in terms of cancer. Uh, a lot of the cancer has been focused on, of course, the head and neck area, which is where we hold our cell phones, both for uh, malignant tumors like uh, brain tumors, so-called gliomas, or even benign tumors uh, of the head and neck area like meningiomas or benign tumors of the uh, parotid gland, which is 
salivary gland that goes around your ear. Um, and basically, there's been no uh, convincing information to say that we can consistently show that there's a relationship between that. Part of this is, to be honest, um, and the reason why we use hedging words like inconsistent, not convincing, um, is these things are actually very, very hard to study. Um, how do you study cell phone use? Um, you have to rely on, let's say, uh, data from the telephone company sure. or data from cell service providers or users. The reporting on that is very, very difficult. Um, and then the intensity of the use is very, very difficult. Um, but best we can tell, there's been no convincing information about that. But all uh, sort of large scientific bodies still say that it's something that uh, warrants continual study, um, um, despite the fact that, you know, there's no clear adverse effect. I would like to just point out that probably the, the most dangerous thing about cell phones isn't about the risk for cancer, but it's the way we use cell phones. <laughs> so there's lots of information about how cell phones, um, even in this day and age, is a distracting device um, and leads to a lot of really preventable accidents, whether they're car accidents or even pedestrian accidents. So that actually far outweighs any damaging um, effect from cell phones related to you know cancer risk. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of people, uh, frankly, accept and put themselves at risk for every day. Agreed. Absolutely. Now, here's a big one, and we don't have a lot of time. I'd like to get through a few more. Dr. Tao, if we could, there's a cure, but big pharma's hiding it. What do you think about that one? Well, <laughs> <laughs> with with the level of how knowledge is disseminated now um, and uh, the availability of information um, on almost any platform you can imagine, it would just be almost unfathomable that Big Pharma is hiding such an incredible secret. Um, and so I think, you know, we all we all are a little bit of skeptics in the world. I mean, I think, you know, the society kind of creates that. Um, but there really is no big secret out there. Um, the other challenge with uh, the, quote, can't, the cure for cancer is that cancer isn't a single diagnosis. Um, the way people develop certain kinds of cancers, even though I said that generally speaking, it occurs because of a mutation um, that sporadically occurs as opposed to uh, inherited, although that in a small percentage of patients does occur. Um, the kind of mutation, the way the mutation occurs, how the mutation leads to cancer, um, the manifestation of the cancer, how that cancer is responsive to different uh uh, agents, uh, whether you're talking about drug therapy like chemotherapy or more targeted therapies or even immunotherapy or surgery or radiation, is so specific to that cancer, um, it, it it's not possible that there will actually be a single cure for all of, you know, the big C or cancer. So it's a lot, lot more complex than that. There's no way that anyone could uh, be the holder uh, and hence the denier of, you know, the one answer to this whole The answer. one answer, the magic pill that we're all looking for. Last question, Dr. Tao, does a positive attitude really help with cancer treatments? You are a radiation oncologist. You see people going through treatments and therapy every day. Does it help when they are hopeful or spiritual or have a great support system, give us your best advice about positive attitude going through these type of treatments. I think what um, having a positive attitude uh, really leads to is 
how you experience the whole event as opposed to necessarily, you know, is it going to make you more likely to survive your breast cancer uh, or your prostate cancer, whatever kind of potentially deadly cancer. Um, if you have a more positive attitude, you're more likely to seek out uh, support. You're more likely to have social connections. Uh, you're less likely to experience depression and anxiety. Um, that may indirectly lead to you also uh, taking better care of yourself, uh, meaning uh, attending to certain things that are related to you being able to get through some of the side effects uh, of the treatment, um, potentially leading to you having less delays in your treatment, um, which we know can directly impact the curability of your cancer. So there may be some indirect things that have to do with you being able to get through the experience uh, or the treatment process in a way that adheres to all the protocols. Um, but it, in terms of the attitude specifically, directly impacting your cancer outcome, there's less of that. But we all know as we're uh, going through anything, um, if we if we experience something in a in a better way, um, so essentially our quality of life, um, that's as meaningful or in, as impactful as, let's say, a foreshortened or a longer period of life. So that's what I see is that people are able to handle the experience or tolerate the treatment consequences uh, much, much better uh, than if they have a poor attitude. Thank you so much for clearing up some of those myths and busting up some of those misconceptions. People have so many, and we could have gone through about 40 questions here, Dr. Tao. There's just so many, so we'd love to have you on again to clear up some more of them, and thank you again for joining us today. And that wraps up another episode of It's Your Health Radio with Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital. Head on over to our website at henrymayo.com for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast as cool as I did, with so much great information, share it with your friends. Share it on your social media. Be sure to check out all the other fascinating podcasts in our library. I'm Melanie Cole.